Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner-Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world-class talent. Join her here each week on The Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real-life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? So I came across a quote, which is about how human beings, all of us, what we are constantly seeking in our lives is safety, belonging, and dignity. And I thought that that was so, such a perfect encapsulation of a lot of things that are going on in the world today and, and in the world of work, but also in our lives. We've all been living through this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and are now getting sort of into the place where things are a little bit more, I don't know, normal-ish. And yet we are still looking for safety, belonging, and dignity, because that's what we are, that's what we're wired to do. And safety in particular has been one of those things that's been hard to come by because there's been so much in flux and so much uncertainty. And which, which connects very closely to belonging because when we don't feel like things are, are safe, are firm, it can be also hard to feel like we know where we fit in, which then also connects to dignity, feeling like we are respected, feeling like we know what we're up to, feeling clear on what's going on. And so this has been a challenging time for us humans, and it's been a hard time for organizations because of this constant flux. Here's one of these things that is an unfortunate reality is that all of the really smart people who study this stuff say that, you know, yeah, aside from COVID-19, the amount of uncertainty, the amount of change, the pace of mm -hmm. change, it's, it's going to continue to be like it has been. And so our opportunity as humans who are constantly on the hunt for safety, belonging, and dignity, it's going to be really important for us to figure out how to both get clear about what is and learn some new skills around resilience so that we can weather all of this today. Mm -hmm. Which brings me right to our guest. Alyssa Gosha is a certified executive coach and talent development professional. She has got a real passion 
for guiding people toward bringing their dreams to life and accomplishing things that they think are impossible. I love that. And I love her and you guys are going to get to experience why. She is passionate about getting to the heart of people's stories and partnering with them to produce powerful legacies. Welcome to the show, Alyssa. Thank you, Ginny, and I'm happy to be here. Yay, I'm so glad that you're here. It's, it feels like it was, you know, ages ago that we set this up, but finally here we are. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, but we're here now. <laughs> Amen. So I'm going to start the way that I often do, which mm -hmm. is tell me what is something that you have become aware of mm -hmm. that we are not paying enough attention to? And what is the cost in your in your wisdom of that inattention? Yeah, for me right now, one of the big things that I think we're not paying enough attention to is grief and how we process it. And mm -hmm. to me, the cost is the unhealing like we think we've healed from something and we haven't. Uh -huh. And grief has an interesting way of sort of morphing into other things like anger, rage, negative emotions that just kind of sit at the, the bottom of your stomach, at your feet, and then mm -hmm. it fuels other things. So when you're, when you're having another emotional moment, instead of it being only about the thing that you're addressing, it's fueled by all of this unresolved grief that has turned into anger that's sitting in there. And... So when I'm going on my own personal journey, I've hit a lot of different moments where I'm like, oh, there's something there to grieve, but I think it's something we miss a lot. And I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of rules around grief that are not actually correct that we think we have to go through that don't actually help us close the loop. Oh my gosh, there's so much there to unpack. And, <laughs> and, that's, and that's brilliant. And so I think where I wanna start is mm -hmm when when you're thinking about grief and and with the folks who you help sort of create enormous breakthroughs so mm -hmm. that they can soar and create what they're up to creating in their own lives when we think about the things that we're not grieving fully mm -hmm. in part are are those like the the things that happen in our lives about which we have sadness and grief. So we just had to let go of our 16 year old dog in, yeah. in January. And that was incredibly sad. And there was a lot of grief around that. Or are you also talking about as we are living in these dynamic times of today, grieving the way that things used to be or what we used to be able to do or how things used to work or D all of the above. Yeah. D all of the above. Like as you were talking, I was thinking just yes, because <laughs> it's very easy to tie grief to death, which is the main thing that we think about when we're thinking, I need to grieve this person, this pet, this thing, whatever it might be. We, we often tie it to that, but there are so many other things that we need to grieve because of the unmet expectation or the story we were telling ourselves of how it would be, could be, should be mm -hmm. all of those ideals or dreams have a moment where they can be grieved. And that's everything we're dealing with. The job I thought I would have, the fact that I got laid off, 
the way my business is going differently than when I thought, maybe not good, bad, or otherwise, but just differently. The, the loss of a friendship, a relationship, an actual person in your life. So there are so many areas. And like, if I say to a client, like, you know, have you grieved the loss of that job? It almost doesn't connect because it's like, well, a person didn't die. So why am I grieving? But there's so much opportunity to address basically the unresolved feelings about the situation and how it looks different than what we thought it would look like. And there's so much in our lives mm -hmm. that don't turn out like we thought they would, right? You know, nothing the, that never nothing. happens. <laughs> exactly. You know, the life that I thought I would be living now exactly. when I was, you know, five or 10 or 20 <laughs> or 30. Yeah has has no relationship to the life that I am in no. fact living. And uh, even in the way that life is going right now, if you asked anyone in November or December what their life would be like in April versus everything that happened in December and January to what they're actually answering now, it's mm -hmm. completely different. Even for myself, the same thing. Like if you asked me in December what I would be doing now, it would not be what I am actually doing now. Yeah. And that's a big that's a big shift for most people. And so is part of it also that we get, we humans, we tend to get very hooked yes. by how we think things should go, how, yes. how this conversation should go, how this relationship should go, how our children should be, how our business should be, how our career path should be. Is, is that part of um, what's tripping us up as well is that we get we get hooked into this should, which then gets tied to an expectation of yes. how it's supposed to go. 100%. We love to fill in the blanks, right? Yeah. We, I, because we don't like uncertainty because that's right. where our brain thinks there's some kind of danger there. So if I know A and D and F, I'm like, okay, well, I need to fill in B and C and close the gap there. So it's a lot of that. And, and all of my clients would say they've heard me say should or shouldn't what is yeah. because, well, I should call that person or I should do this. Let's take that off the table. What do you want to do? What will move you forward in a way that makes sense based on what we're talking about? But oftentimes the should is something that we're trying to force ourselves into that we don't actually want to do or even intuition wise may not be right. Mm -hmm. And there's also a balance of saying, you know, okay, what am I doing where I'm just trying to avoid or procrastinate? And what am I trying to force myself into that's not right for me mm -hmm. because it worked for somebody else or there's a story that I'm telling myself? Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. So I, I had a mentor a while ago who used to always say, stop shooting on yourself. Yeah. And I thought it was yeah. so, I thought it was funny. It's and, funny. Um, I thought it was so perfect because- yeah. That is what we do. We create these expectations mm -hmm. and shoulds, and then we put them on ourselves, and it and it lives like often, like something that we have to do, Correct. something that if I were a better fill in the blank, if I were a better wife, if I were a better mother, if I were a better employee, if I were a better business owner, if I were a better consultant, if I were a better, you know, the list just goes on and on. If I were a better whatever, mm -hmm. I would be doing this thing. So clearly I'm supposed to do it. So I should. Right. Right. And 
it may have no relevance, as you were saying, to mm -hmm. what would be good, profitable, smart, in my best interest, yes. uh, authentic for me. Right. I love what you said, authentic. And I like what you said, too. Like, we, we wear it as a hat. We take that and we wear it as if it is reality, one and done, and that's it. When it's simply one way, it could go, may go, very well may not go. And so, you know, having that open-handed uh, versus I should do it. It's very white knuckle. Like I'll say that to my clients. Like, are you like, I got to do this? Uh, mm -hmm. Or can we open it up and say, it, is that profitable? Is that best for me? That's why with clients too, it's helpful to have the vision because if we're clear on your vision and where we're going, we can look and say, is this actually moving you forward towards that? Or is it just something you think you should do for some reason? And, you know, sometimes it's even helpful to say like, if that didn't exist tomorrow, what would you do? Because it can also open up your mind to things change very rapidly. Yeah, I love that. And so if we realize that we we have a should or we have a didn't go like I wanted it to go or I thought it was going to go and and we have some residual emotions, um, sadness, grief that could be processed around that. What are what are the places for us to to look or to dive in to start moving through that? Yeah, I one of the tools that I like to use with clients is the grief recovery handbook. Um, hmm. It's it's been an interesting tool. It for me it allowed me to close the loop on whatever the thing is. And it's an interesting experience because like I'll, I'll share a personal. So my, my mom passed away when I was in my early twenties mm -hmm. and at the time, thank you. Um, you know, I was young. Most people in my life hadn't lost a, a grandparent, let alone a parent. Um, so there were people who were much older than me because they had been living life and have experienced that. But at the time, no one my age really knew what to say or what to do. So okay. there was the, the normal feelings of like, you got to get over it. You got to keep moving forward. Life does not stop. Um, and of course you feel sad, but you keep going. And it wasn't until much later when I started looking at the process, like there's no actual timeline. And the thing that I like, particularly for me with the grief recovery handbook is it allows you to have all of the emotions because, you know, my mom was ill. So it wasn't something where it's like I could direct my anger at a specific situation or some, you know, and, and someone, someone kind of brought up to me like, well, are you angry? And I'm like, well, I can't be angry about it. You know, like it wasn't our choice, but this process allowed me to have all the emotions. And I think sometimes for clients or for just humans, there are certain things we cut ourselves off on. Like I have to move on. I have to feel sad for a certain amount of time and then that's it or I can't feel certain ways. And yeah. so I really like that tool because it closes the loop on anything and everything you might be feeling about a situation because it's when we don't allow ourselves to feel all the things that it goes unresolved, even though we think it might be addressed. I love that. I, yep. I love this. <laughs> when <laughs> when I was doing research for our conversation today, you know, mm -hmm. we we've heard of the five stages of grief. 
And so we think we're supposed to move through them in a sequential <laughs> order. I love and this. as the, as the uh, experience you got shows, we don't. We move back and forth and around in circles and, you know, over to acceptance and then back to anger. And because and yeah. that's how it goes. Yeah. And you might not, you may never hit bargaining, for right. example, or you might never hit denial based on how you're processing at the time. But all of those loops and whirls, it's definitely not linear. And that's the other thing too, is to give yourself grace if you need to like go back because you're not really doing that. You're simply on the journey. And as with anything in our type of work, like sometimes I'll say to my coach or even my therapist, like, haven't we talked about this already? Like what? But <laughs> I, I put that to bed. Yes, but right, as you get deeper, it comes up. Now, maybe when it first came up, it was a 10 and now it's a seven and then it's a three. So it's different, but to not be upset about the fact that something's being addressed again, because as you clean things out and clear your mind and heal, different parts of it appear and it has to be okay to deal with each part when it comes, because you probably couldn't have dealt with that version of it, let's say six months ago or three months ago when the first part of it came up. Oh, I, I love I love that way of thinking about it, that, you know, that, that we're moving through stages and sort of like an, an onion, like there's, there's yes. different layers to it. And so that, that it keeps coming up, mm. isn't a problem. It's That's just right. like, oh, great. Now, now I get to deal with this layer of this mm -hmm. thing that happened or this the situation in which I found myself or whatever whatever mm -hmm. the, the thing was. Yeah, and sometimes something will trigger it like, ooh, I'm feeling a little weird about this. Oh, you know what? That reminds me of this. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, so let me deal with this feeling now. But I, I think the biggest thing too is taking ourselves off that timeline because that beautiful, lovely, straight arrow <laughs> is just not how life works and or how healing works. It's not how grief works. And giving ourselves the freedom to experience what we're experiencing in the moment and address it in the moment is key. So I, I have a I have a mentor who used to, or she probably still does, talk about how in in her image, in her mind, we are all walking around in one half of a Velcro suit. So, you know, if you think about Velcro, it's mm -hmm. it's loops and hooks. Yeah. And so we are all walking around in a loop suit. Okay. And occasionally we keep getting hooked <laughs> by that same thing. Yes. Like, oh man, I thought I dealt with the fact that my grandfather was a jerk. Like, and now here I am again dealing with the fact that my grandfather was a jerk. Mm -hmm. And and it's just one of those things that keeps mm -hmm. coming around because we're in a human loop suit. Well, yeah, that's that's a great analogy. And and yeah, I you know, they, like I said, there are things that I can address now. Like we start off and we have a hammer and we're hitting a nail right, right. later. We might be doing the thing with the little I'm chiseling this little piece of dirt out of this beautiful sculpture with a little brush. And it's that tiny little, you know, artifact hammer that you might be using. Right. It's different. And so it's OK to say. I, I couldn't have even seen that little piece if I didn't use the hammer before. Right. And the way then to that it occurs to us is a lot less painful. It's like, okay, this is a little thing and I don't want the pebble in my shoe, even right. the grain of sand, because I will feel it, but it's not a boulder. Yeah. 
Yeah. It makes it easier to deal with it. Absolutely. Um, as I was doing research for our conversation today, one of the things that I came across was this idea of a sixth stage of grief. You know, this is really about finding meaning and finding meaning in mm-hmm. whatever whatever it is that we are grieving. So, you know, whether what we're mm-hmm. grieving is the loss of of a person or a pet or a, you know, a a being that we loved or what we're mourning is the loss of a situation or a situation that was familiar. Maybe even it wasn't that great, but we, we knew how to function. I mean, I remember I worked for a fortune 200 company. There were things about it that were awesome. And there were a lot of things about it that were, that were bad. And when I left, I realized, or, or not a good fit for me. When I left, I realized like, oh, I have grief in the loss of this, mm-hmm. even though in many ways it was a really poor fit for me. But I, I knew how to do it. I knew okay. I, was, I was comfortable. So back to that, you know, we're always seeking safety and dignity and belonging. I knew where I belonged. I felt mm-hmm. safe there. I was respected. Yeah. And then I lost all those things. The comfort will keep us in place for a very long time. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's hard to, when you get laid off, for example, it's hard to find meaning in that and be like, it's it's a positive. And we can, we can say, okay, this happened. So now what do I want to do with it? Right. Uh, but, but that's where I think having all the emotions come into play because the loss of a parent that you had a horrible relationship with or who was absentee is, can be a hard thing to process because- yeah we can judge ourselves like I should feel sad. I don't feel sad. Or like, I'm, I'm glad they're gone. And like, well, shoot, I don't want to feel that way. Like, mm. right. So it, I shouldn't feel that I way. I shouldn't feel that way. Right. right. And it's like, well, let's have the feelings as they are and say all the things and not judge the process or how we're feeling, but it's very easy to shame out around what or how you're feeling. So when we find ourselves mm-hmm. shaming out, and I, I, I love, I've never heard that, that, that formula. I love that shaming out about something. Mm-hmm. How can we pull ourselves back or what ideas do you have around mm-hmm. how we can get regrounded in, in what is? Yeah. Well, and this oftentimes I, I will even use like the Byron Katie framework. Is it true? Right. Mm-hmm. So, let's say a parent died and there is a negative relationship. Well, I, I shouldn't feel bad. Uh, I shouldn't feel relieved that they're gone. Well, is that true? Mm-hmm. And, and it, you do feel that way. Right. So it's not, I should or shouldn't. That is how you feel. So let's talk through why and how you feel that way. And this is why, like for me, I always let my clients know I work with a coach. I work with a therapist. I encourage my clients to do the same you want other people to kind of help you walk through it. But that's where something like the grief recovery handbook or going through that process comes into place because you can have all the feelings. You can talk about the things that you want to acknowledge for yourself, the things that you liked about the person, because there was probably one or two things you remember that you want to talk about and the things that you're not happy with, but truly being able to say all the things helps us from going down a rabbit hole. And I, I do really feel like it asking myself, like, is it true that I should or shouldn't feel this way? It's simply how you feel. So let's acknowledge that and not put any judgment around it. Yeah. I love that. 
when we were, again, when we were looking at all of this, I, I came across this and I loved this, this beginning here around uh, coping strategies because, you know, it, it says there at the beginning of the second paragraph, grief does not follow a schedule. And, you know, American culture expects people to mourn quickly. Yes. To cry at the funeral and then have a sense of closure and then move on. And like, that's, that's not how many of us, I mean, even, even if what we're dealing with is sadness and not grief, mm-hmm. different, different entities, we don't move through it that way. And like, there's a lot of cultures, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the Jewish culture has some wonderful traditions around, around grieving. And, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a, a culture, I think it's an African culture where people who are mourning the the love the loss of a loved one, mm-hmm. any sort of loved one, they wear a band on their arm for a year. Because mm-hmm. the expectation is it's going to take you at least a year and you want to have something public so that people know I I I get to be a little extra kind mm-hmm. to this person. because they are going through a grieving process yeah i mean to me it's like waves don't you think yeah we were we were talking about waves before Mm -hmm. we started and i mean the ocean as you can tell the ocean is one of my my grounding places and part of what i love about the ocean is the movement Mm -hmm. and the repetition and the fact that it's never the same, you know, waves come in sets and sometimes mm-hmm. they come in sets of one and sometimes in sets of four. And it's, there's an unpredictability in the regularity. There's an unpredictability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I love bringing that idea as you just did to, to the concept of grief. Yeah. And I, I know for me, like there are, there have been years where a birthday or a specific holiday doesn't trigger any specific emotions, but seeing a flower at the store on a random Tuesday can. And because you sort of never know when or how it will come or what extent, sometimes depending on other things, it might hit me extremely hard. And other times it's just like, like, you know, a moment, a reminder Mm -hmm. and all of those are okay. But even to your point, too, and that article said it beautifully, the the hard line of grief, that newness that happens right away, that gets easier. It subsides. But I don't know, depending on what the loss is in certain instances, that it ever really goes away. It simply changes. Mm-hmm. And that's the other piece that I think we go we get wrong is that it's just it's going to have an end point. It just stops and it's never again. Yeah. It will feel different. It will change. But, you know, depending on the loss that you're, you're not letting go of the person, the memories, et cetera, the relationship, the things that molded you about the time together. Yeah. You know, and I, I find it so funny. I have a, a close friend who passed away. Come, we're coming up on, on the one year anniversary mm-hmm. um, from cancer. And um, I, I had the thought the other day, oh, I need to call Kirsten. And like, yeah, I can't call Kirsten. She's not, mm-hmm. she's not here anymore. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, one of the things I, I love this concept that has been 
coming up a lot around uh, work that people have been doing around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, especially with the belonging piece of that is the idea that everyone's life is a movie in progress. <laughs> and where I come into, you know, so you and I got connected maybe six months ago now. Might have been a year at this point. I lose track, Janine. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Time is very yeah. funny these days. Yeah. So, you know, six months to a year ago. Yeah. And there will, something will happen mm -hmm. and you will pop into my brain, you know, a hundred years down the road. Well, a hundred years down the road, neither one of us will be here, but <laughs> you know, things happen in life and people come and go mm -hmm. and circumstances change and circumstances come and go. I think one of our collective opportunities is to remember that where we're coming in on anybody else's movie mm -hmm. is very much partway through. Yes. And so we don't know all of the things that have happened beforehand. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if you and I are in Austin together, which would be awesome, and mm -hmm. we're in the grocery store and suddenly you tear up over a can of tomatoes, like it's not that you suddenly had a stroke and lost your mind like probably <laughs> that can of tomatoes is connected mm -hmm. to something yeah. that that I don't know about mm -hmm. and so like having that having that patience having mm -hmm. that compassion having that knowing that I came into Alyssa's story mm -hmm you know, 30 years after it started, I think if we can, I think when we can all have mm -hmm. that level of both connection and, and compassion for mm -hmm. each other and, and not knowing any, the background of anybody else's story, it feels like it would be easier maybe for us to manage, mm -hmm. manage our feelings and manage our grief. I think so. There's a level of empathy and curiosity that we don't always come at others with because, you know, we're the star in our own movie, like you said. So we're thinking about the way everything is coming towards us versus looking at that person or that moment in its own individual, like what's happening here now? Mm -hmm. right? Oh, Alyssa used to, Alyssa's Italian. She makes sauce with her mom. It reminded her of that for whatever reason, right? It's something totally sidelined is getting curious and being open and and learning to to not be afraid of the uncomfortable or the emotions of somebody else because that makes many of us feel very uncomfortable like i don't know what's going on right now but this person's crying right what's happening so just the curiosity and even to do the other thing that's very uncomfortable which is to hold space and keep just the silence ah i i i i love that i you know the the opportunity to hold space for another person is a wonderful thing and something that we often bulldoze over. Mm -hmm. Last night, my husband and I were having a conversation and he was having a number of feelings about something. And, and I, it, it did not make sense to me why he was mm -hmm. having those feelings. So I was trying to help him reframe the story that he was creating because all the feelings he was feeling were negative. And I was like, well, what about if, or could you change the story such that, and that wasn't what he needed. Yeah. And eventually he was able to say, I just need you to say, I'm sorry. 
Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I did such a bad job at that. Mm -hmm. So tell, tell me again, <laughs> you know, yeah. and we got to do a little do over. Yeah. Because really what he needed was just compassion mm -hmm. in that moment for the feelings that he was feeling. Right. He didn't and we want to, yeah, we want to understand. Right. So I, I definitely can relate to what you say. Cause I like, in order to be with you fully in the moment, I need to understand exactly what we're talking about and to remind myself, I don't, I don't need to understand. I'm simply here for and with this person, which I think for me, probably for you is one of the cool things about coaching is being able to hold that space yeah. and saying, this is a safe space to say the things that you maybe can't say anywhere else. And would just feel, feel the feelings like what's going on. Cause you know, you can kind of see sometimes when somebody has a shift and it's uh -huh. like, okay, what's going on there. And just yeah. to let them articulate it or not. And, you know, we are in this, in this business uh, time here in the 21st century where managers are expected to be coaches. You know, <laughs> people don't, people don't want a boss. They right. want a coach. And so helping to, to create that space for people. Mm -hmm. I, I was working with a client the other day who uh, manages a, law, a large law firm. And she was saying, it just takes so much time. Like it's <laughs> so, oh my God, it's so frustrating. <laughs> and you know, and so I was holding space for her to hold, have her feelings around that. And I said, I get it. I get it that it does. It was it does. way easier when we could say, I don't care about you, <laughs> you know, just produce yeah. the work that I need done and then go home. Um, but that's not, that is no longer the nature of work. And when we show up that way, we lose our people. Yeah. And we are in a time when the, the war for talent is real and, you know, mm -hmm. finding the right people and getting them onboarded and keeping them around mm -hmm. is the name of the game for most organizations. And so like, yeah, I get it. It takes a lot of time and sometimes it sucks having mm -hmm. to really care about all of your employees and, and hold that space for them. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we get to grieve that we get to grieve that it is no longer the way that it used to be. I get it that that stinks and here's what it is. And so then how do we move into that space with, with power and with compassion for ourselves and ultimately for our people? Well, and you know, it, for me being in the corporate space for gosh, 20 years, it, even when I was first in it, it was not like that. Like whatever was going on at home, you kept that to yourself and you put Absolutely. on your game face at work. And I, I have appreciated being in corporate while that shifted and seeing it shift because there's an authenticity that you cannot bring if you're keeping a very large part of yourself out of the workplace. So being able to come in the throes of life, which we are all living, which happens to all of us and be able to have that understanding too is really helpful yeah. because otherwise you're getting some version of the person but you're probably not getting their best and then also you don't even have the understanding as to why you're not in a certain moment if something's happening right yeah right. and and you know what what we as as organizational leaders need is mm -hmm. the best from our people that's right uh, whether those people are us or or the people who are 
uh, working with and for us. And so, you know, creating space for people to be fully themselves, yeah. I think is, is critical. I, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, Alyssa, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your generosity and, and your insights about grief and the opportunities for us to move through them more fully. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Janine. It was a pleasure. I love talking with you. So I'm glad I could share and thanks for having me. Back at you, babe. I am Janine Hamner-Holman and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.